welcome to the Vine Podcast. I'm Jason, and I'm here just to provide a brief introduction to uh, this week's episode of the podcast. Um, Back on October 8th and 9th, the Vine Church was blessed to have uh, Justin Lee come speak to our church and community. Justin is a renowned author and speaker. He's the author of books uh, such as Torn, Rescuing the Gospel from the Gays versus Christians Debate, and uh, his most recent book, which came out in 2018, Talking Across the Divide, How to Communicate with People You Disagree With and Maybe Even Change the World. Uh, Justin came uh, basically to talk on Praying on Empty, uh, basically how to... um, kind of reinvigorate your faith when things seem to be really oppressive and difficult in life. Uh, It was a wonderful weekend. It was wonderful to hear his words and what he had to say. Um, I actually have put the links to the three different sessions that he had uh, in the show notes of this podcast episode. So if you haven't watched those, uh, they're on YouTube and you can uh, click those links to go watch those uh, either before you listen to this episode or afterwards. Um, so Justin spoke, for, session one was Saturday morning on October 8th, session two was Saturday afternoon, and then session three actually was the sermon on um, Sunday, October 9th. Uh, during classes on October 9th, uh, Warren Gray moderated uh, a Q&A with Justin, and so Warren had people submit questions on index cards and then put those to Justin uh, during a Q&A session on, uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, the audio that you're about to hear is, was recorded for, from that Q&A, uh, but we didn't start the recording actually on time. Uh, we started it a little bit late, and it did cut off the introduction uh, and the first question that was asked. Uh, the first question actually was, how can straight Christians help gay Christians, whom we may not know yet, uh, to feel truly welcomed and affirmed at our church? And so uh, that's the question that Justin will be um, addressing when the audio begins. So I hope you enjoy this Q&A with Justin Lee. Fully known and fully loved is a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. And I think that's what we all want. And so I think the best thing you can do when you meet anybody, LGBTQ or not, is ask them about themselves. Get to know them and find out what interests them. Find out what, you know, what their life is like and what is on their mind. And, and uh, I think that makes just about anybody feel good. And some people don't like to talk about themselves and you don't have to, you know, don't make them. But most people like to talk about themselves at least a little bit, so. Don't make them, that's good advice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Answer this. Tell me! Um, so you and I talked to, I want to kind of go to something that you and I talked about a little bit after we were done yesterday, because I mentioned to, to Justin that one of the, the kind of comments or questions that I've gotten from people is something along the lines of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in kind of hearing some of the theological reasonings or the ways of reading scripture, not only for myself, but because my parents are asking questions about it. My family members are asking why, why are you going to the affirming church? Uh, why, why don't you think this is wrong? Um, you know, I, I think we've had some people who uh, feel like they kind of have to give an answer now to others in the community or people at work or friends about the changes that our church is going through. And, and, and so a question I've gotten from some people is, is there like an elevator pitch of here's 
uh, here's kind of why I've arrived at a different place theologically or with scripture um, and just kind of bullet points, boom, boom, boom. And, and I think intuitively we know some of the issues with that, but I think you spoke in our conversation yesterday to just why that, why the elevator pitch, the kind of quick rundown is difficult when it comes to this topic. And so I want to ask you to tell us why it's difficult. And then I want you to give us the elevator pitch. So tell us why it's difficult first. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, this is true, I think, in any discussion where there is a simplistic answer to a question, but the simplistic answer is deceptive. It's either flat out wrong or it glosses over important things or whatever. It is, it's hard if, uh, you know, in cases where there is a, a passage that somebody can point to and pull out of context and say, look, if you just read these words, the answer is clear. Um, if, for whatever reason, that... You know, in, with many passages, that works. There are many Bible passages that you can just pull a passage, write, you know, just put the passage on a calendar. I mean, they do. They do, like, Bible verse-a-day calendars where, you know, each verse stands on its own, stands on its own. And there are lots of verses that work really well that way. You know, a lot of us memorize Scripture that way. And... But it's not always true. Um, there's a, oh goodness, I wish I could remember it. There's a passage, I have um, uh, an image on my computer of a, a verse a day calendar where um, uh, they put, it's you know like inspiring Bible passages and on one day they had a passage and it was, I may be slightly misquoting it, but it was, um, uh, if, thou wilt, if thou wilt worship me, all will be thine. And it sounds really inspiring out of context. And you go, well, that's a great passage, that, you know, self-explanatory. But if you look the context up for that passage, this is the devil trying to tempt Jesus. Right? The context really changes the meaning of the passage. <laughs> now, in that particular case, it's kind of, you know, it's easy to explain, which is why I can use it as an illustration. But it's not always the case. There are some Bible passages... If you've ever done any serious scripture study, you've probably come across passages that, like, you read the passage, and what it seems on its surface to say doesn't, doesn't jive. It's not what the church has taught. It's, it wouldn't make sense with how you understand who God is, whatever. And you can go to, you know, Bible scholars who will say, well, you have to understand. In the time when this was written, what, what Paul was actually saying to the church of the day was, because this thing was going on or whatever— and a lot of us have heard this, we're used to, you know, we're used to that, that kind of thing. But it's difficult if one person is saying, this passage means exactly what it seems to say on the surface, and someone else is saying, well, actually, let me explain. I need to, there's a whole explanation, you know. If I'm not, if I don't have a reason to question the surface explanation, then the person who's offering a deeper explanation, even if they're right, sounds like they're trying to make up an argument to explain something away. This is a problem that folks faced. Uh, there's a, a book that I mentioned yesterday called The Civil War as a Theological Crisis by Mark Knoll, who's a very respected church historian. This was a problem that abolitionist Christians faced in the U.S., especially in the South, during the Civil War era. Because the folks who were proponents of slavery could point to specific passages that said, here's how you own slaves. 
And the abolitionists were saying, well, okay, so the Bible allowed for slavery within the context of what was going on in the day, but actually, if you look at the broader message of Scripture and where God was taking things or whatever, those are arguments that today we would say are the right arguments. At the time, a lot of people said, you're just trying to argue against the plain sense of Scripture. You're trying to throw out Scripture in, in service of what you believe should be true, and that's not what the Bible says. So it's difficult sometimes to make... Uh, a clear, succinct elevator pitch when there is an easier, simpler answer that someone can just point to one verse. And this is the challenge that you have when you're trying to make an affirming uh, argument from Scripture because the person who's making the non-affirming argument can say, man should not lie with man, boo. That's what else is there. And the person making the affirming argument has to both find passages in Scripture that you believe affirm same-sex relationships, and also address all of the passages that have been traditionally used in other ways and try to explain the context and the culture and in some cases how the translation has changed over the years and all this stuff. And people just kind of tune you out after a while. So this is the challenge. And what I always say to, what I always say to folks, even to explain why it's uh, difficult, takes time, you see. But uh, what I always say to folks is, um, if someone does not have a reason in their heart to want to reconsider how they have interpreted scripture in the past. All of the arguments you can make to them, even if they're wonderful arguments, will not change their minds. And so we we have this tendency, we think, well, if I just argue the Bible well enough, if I bring enough facts, I will change people's minds. But you can see on all sorts of issues, arguments tend not to change minds. What, What happens is, when something in our heart is unsettled, when we feel cognitive dissonance, well, I've always believed this thing, but something feels wrong about this because I see the impact it's having or because something doesn't connect with, that's when we say, well, I'm open to hearing if there's another version. And that's when people, that's when that discussion is helpful. But for many folks who are non-affirming Christians, what I say is, Talk about stories. Let's talk about what LGBTQ folks' experiences are and and talk about how the church could be more welcoming and supportive of them, even if it's non-affirming, first. Because it's not usually until people sit with the whole idea of, gosh, what we're really asking is for, you know, somebody like you, Justin, who's gay, you know, we're asking you to be alone for the rest of your life because you didn't choose this. It's not something that you could change uh, it's not just about, you know, some particular behavior. This is about whether you can have a relationship, whether you can have love, whether you have someone to care for you if you get sick in your old age. Like, it's not until they've sat with all of that emotionally that they start to go, okay, well, let me just check and see if there's another possible understanding of this passage. And that's really what has to happen first. Now, elevator pitch, my very, very abbreviated one that immediately raises all sorts of yes, but what about, um, would be essentially that when the Bible addresses uh, instances of same-sex sexual behavior in scripture, the, when we look at what's happening in those passages, in that context, it is not loving, committed relationships like we're talking about today. There's a whole different context for what's happening there. So just like when we look at, you know, Paul talking about uh, women speaking in church, when Paul talks about people's hair lengths and head coverings, when, you know, other things, we say, well, what did that mean at that time? Why, 
you know, it, does it mean the same thing for us today? Like, that matters. Uh, when the Bible speaks negatively of tax collectors, what was going on at the time? Well, it's not that the Bible is against the collection of taxes. It's that the tax collectors were cheating folks, right? So that's – so uh, what, we're, what the Bible is talking about is something very different from what we're talking about today. But I think that the – when we look at how the Bible – Define sin. When we look at Jesus saying sin always bears bad fruit and, you know, good trees bear good fruit, bad trees bear bad fruit. And we look at the fruit of people's relationships and we look at the fruit of what's happened to LGBTQ folks in the church um, when we haven't been welcoming, when we haven't been affirming. Um, you know, all of these little passages that we see here and there, the thrust of scripture, just like we talked about slavery, I think is towards acceptance and understanding and, you know, even as in the Bible we see, this is getting more than an elevator pitch, but even as in the Bible we see, like... Um, the elevator's broke. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a tall building. Um, it, 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 you know, it, God at one point says, eunuchs can't enter the temple. And then later on says, actually, now they can. You know, there is a move in Scripture to um, greater grace. And it's not allowing for sin, but it is greater grace and, and less legalism. And I think that if we understand what the Bible is actually addressing in the passages that are often viewed as uh, reasons why not to affirm, and that we look at how Jesus interpreted Scripture and how Paul interpreted Scripture and how the early church interpreted Scripture, and as some of the issues that are most parallel, like the question of circumcision in that day and other things— I think there are lots of things in Scripture that would lead us to a, an affirming interpretation. And the only thing really that holds a lot of folks back is, but what about these verses that seem to say not? And I think if you look at what those verses are actually talking about, it's not about relationships. But it really takes time and sitting with Scripture. And I have the utmost respect for my Christian friends who disagree with me on that and who say, I can't get there. And I don't ever think that we should uh, point at anybody and say, because you didn't come to an affirming place, then you're a homophobe or you are just not uh, willing. I think a lot of folks are trying their best to, to, to follow what they believe scripture says. I think where we do need to push is toward greater welcome. And okay, let's do more than, if you can't be affirming, let's at least do more than just stand or walk by and let's get to that place of how do we really love and support folks who are hurting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think slavery is such an interesting, I think, corollary because it is, if I just did a flat reading of the New Testament, just flat reading, and said, now what do I, what should my response be to, to slave ownership? I, I think you, could, you would be, I think to say, well, for me to be a compassionate slave owner as a Christian, like that would be totally understandable if I'm just doing a flat reading of, of the New Testament and I should treat my slaves well. And, and so, but yeah, when we dig into that and in our current context and if Jesus is the foundation of, of what we're pursuing, as you talked about yesterday, then we would hopefully all agree. We could, well, no, that's not, it's not what God is calling us toward. And, and this has all kinds of issues that are baked into it that, that, that don't go into account there. And, and I think part of what I told Justin yesterday, that's why Philemon is one of my favorite letters of Paul. Because I think Philemon, in a lot of ways, is him sort of critiquing the whole model of it, 
but, but you're right. There's, there's no way of, there's, there's no verse that we can point to that just says slavery is evil. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think kind of what you were speaking to there about that's, that's part of the, the crux of the matter here with, with this topic. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the fruit of the spirit idea is something I think we have failed to do as churches to judge things by their fruit and, or, and to, uh, to, to make discernments based on what fruit is this producing has unfortunately not always been where we have gone. But if we're going to let the Spirit lead us and if we're going to be people of the Spirit, uh, which I think is what Paul is calling us to in Galatians, because when, when Paul in Galatians says that, we did a whole series about this this summer, but when, when, when Paul is saying to the church in Galatia, these Gentiles don't have to get circumcised if they're going to be part of our group, to the Jewish people, he was going against an everlasting covenant and, and going against Scripture. He was taking Scripture out of context. I'm sure they were saying you're bending to culture. You're, you're, you're changing what Scripture says, all these things. And he's saying, but the Spirit is doing something new amongst us. And we can see the fruit of it in the Gentile people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I believe the same thing is happening within, within us currently. That, that, and, and I shared that in a sermon at one point. That that was one of the markers for me. was like, wait, if I can see the fruit of the Spirit in these LGBTQ individuals, um, in some cases in, in more and profound ways, and I'm seeing it within the people I'm in church with, uh, then what, is, what does that say? And, and who am I to, to stand in the way of that? Can I have one more quick thing? I promise no. to be fast. No. <laughs> I, I, I'll give you one quick example that's along the same lines of a passage that I think is really helpful as a, as a positive passage. I, I look at when Jesus is talking about the healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus gets accused of breaking the law by healing the Sabbath. And you, you have to have the context that the Sabbath law was critically, critically important. He is a Jewish rabbi who was apparently working on the Sabbath. And, he's, and his uh, critics accuse him of breaking the Sabbath law because he's healing. And Jesus has the opportunity to say, well, what I'm doing doesn't count as work. But he doesn't make that argument. Instead... He says, well, what would you do if your child fell into a well on the Sabbath? Wouldn't you pull them out? And he's giving them an example of something that's clearly work, pulling a child out of a well. There's no question that's work. But he says, wouldn't you do it anyway? So he's not saying the Sabbath law is bunk. He's not saying God doesn't care if you sin. But he's saying, hang on a second. Use your brain. Use your heart. Would you let your child lie in a well overnight? Do you think that's what God wants? And in a similar way, I say, look, okay, we can have different understandings of what this passage or that passage is about, but does it really make sense? Do we think God is saying, I want this whole group of people to just be miserable and alone and suffer? Is that what these passages are are calling for? Because if not, we need to have some conversation about, you know, what, what we are talking about. So that's the kind of thing I go to, and I have a whole... In my book, uh, Torn, I get into it, but also, I'm not just trying to promote my book, on my website uh, and on my YouTube channel, whatever, I'm, I'm doing a new series on these passages in my YouTube channel. So I will try to give you more of that kind of content uh, uh, shortly. Yeah. You mentioned eunuchs earlier, and I know, you know there's a famous passage in Acts when the Ethiopian eunuch is, is in the chariot and Philip comes up to him and is preaching to him. And, and he says, the, the eunuch says, here's water, what's keeping me from being baptized? Mm-hmm. And, and as, a, as a kid who grew up in fairly conservative churches of Christ, I always heard that as whenever someone is at the moment of decision for baptism, 
there's water around you, dunk them, right? You get them in the water, like nothing, there's water, let's baptize them. And I always heard it preached as this like defense of, of baptism. Whenever somebody's ready, you baptize them. We baptize them. But now I hear that story as this eunuch who had been excluded and who's saying, I don't think I have a place in this group that gets baptized. And so his question of what is keeping me from being baptized, I now hear much more as, am I still excluded? And Philip tells him no. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, to me, there's just so many powerful examples in Scripture of inclusivity and of broadening uh, who is in and, and tearing down the lines of, of who's in and who's out. Like in, your, like in the Good Samaritan story, like that, he's basically trying to say who's in and who's out. Who do I have to love and who do I not? Yeah. And Jesus just breaks all that down. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate what you brought out about that, that story this morning. Um, okay, well, I want to, uh, I want to move to, to some other things because I know, as you said, you know, I know sometimes if you're a, a gay Christian, sometimes you're only asked to talk about gay Christian things. <laughs> um, so, so we do have some questions about some other things. Uh, and so we're going to spend at least a few minutes on that. So this question, I don't know if this question is connected to the parable this morning, uh, but I think it's an interesting one to think about. This says, can you speak to those of us whose jobs are that of caregivers and the exhaustion burnout that ensues? Yeah, no, that's, that's a big question. Um, but uh, I, I'm assuming that, you know, I mean, I just did a sermon on talking about caring for people and loving people and don't pass the by. And then, you know, what if you're at that point where you're, where you're burned out, where you're just giving everything you have? Um, my mom had a, a brain disease um, that was a fatal disease, and uh, for the last quite a few years of her life, my dad was having to be her caregiver and also work to pay for nurses who could you know, sit with her while he was working and at night so that he could actually sleep and know that someone was still there because uh, she needed that. And, you know, it was... Um, I saw how that almost destroyed him. Uh, I think that all of this comes with the, the caveat that God knows our hearts. And so any rule that you can give where you can say you should always do this, you should never do that, there may be a situation that arises where you say, okay, you know, I, I want to love people, but I really, I really don't have the emotional energy to, to keep giving. Like, there's a limit to what I can reasonably do. And it's not that you're making excuses. It's easy for us to make excuses. But God knows the difference between, you know, making an excuse to avoid uh, inconveniencing yourself to care for someone and really just, I'm doing the limit of what I can do. And I don't think God asks us to do more than what we can do. I think God gives us the strength to do what we're called to do. But also, none of us is called to save the entire world by ourselves. This is why we're the, we're the body of Christ. All of the body parts need each other. We, as, a, as an organization, as an organism working together, are caring for the whole world. It doesn't mean each one of us has to be stopping at the side of the road for every single person in the entire world. You'd never get where you were going if you did that, you know. So that, that I think there's, you know, it's the same thing in some ways as Jesus saying, okay, yeah, you know, here's the rule, don't work on the Sabbath. But if your child falls into a well, that's an exception, right? Like that's, you know, uh, there's some common sense here. I think knowing that God knows our hearts and knows our intent 
um, is really important. And one thing that's been a struggle of mine my whole life is to learn how to actually take care of myself well enough to care for others. The world will say, oh, you need to do self-care, you need to do self-care, and that's true, but sometimes people in the world use you need to do self-care as an excuse for be selfish, and whenever you don't want to do something for somebody else, just say, oh, well, I need to do self-care. And that, that's not what God calls us to. Treat yourself. Yeah, treat yourself. <laughs> um, but I do think sometimes you do. Even Jesus got away from the crowds and prayed. Yeah. And I think that's the, the great thing about, you know, again, the parable that you preached on this morning. It says, love, love your neighbor as you love yourself, hmm. which assumes from the beginning that you love you yourself. Love yourself, yeah. And uh, I preached a sermon on that one time at a different church, and this lady came up to me afterwards who was a flight attendant. And she said, you know, if there's an issue on the plane, she says, we tell people every flight, you put your own oxygen mask on first oh. so that you can help someone else. Because <laughs> if you pass out, you're no help to your kid who can't get it on. And so uh, I thought that was an interesting metaphor that, that yeah, you, you're not going to be in a position to help if you're always pulling from an empty well, um, yeah, to keep it with the, with the well metaphors. Um, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Uh, so from, from one Disney nerd to another, you talked about Encanto yesterday, mm-hmm. and you, you mentioned when you talked about Encanto, don't get me started on Ratatouille. <laughs> so... This morning, I want you to get started on Ratatouille. So for those who weren't here yesterday, I talked about the Disney film Encanto uh, as as a kind of metaphor for the church. that The the magical family in Encanto has a responsibility to help care for their town, but the grandmother of the family is so concerned with making sure they always get everything right so that they don't let the town down that she unintentionally crushes the spirit of the members of the family and makes them feel like they're held to such a standard of perfection that they can't live up to it. And she ends up destroying the things she's trying to help. And I think it's important in the church for us to have grace, you know. So we talked about that yesterday. Uh, Ratatouille is my favorite Pixar film. And I always say, yeah, Ratatouille is not anybody's favorite Pixar film. You know, there's so many good ones, but it's my favorite Pixar film, so... I can't cook, maybe that's why, I wish I could, you know, I want to be the rat that can cook. Um, but uh, in Ratatouille, the, uh, the rat is the chef. Again, you know, again, God uses the unexpected, right? The unexpected one is the, is the chef. Um, but he can't cook on his own, and so he uh, hides under the hat of this guy who can't cook who can be human. And so the rat is like, you know, pulling, the, just pulling his hair, or like pulling the strings, operating him like a puppet, and then he can cook. And I said, you know, every time I watch this film, I always imagine it sort of as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, that uh, I know it's kind of bad to call the Holy Spirit a rat. I'm not saying that, but like, <laughs> the Holy Spirit works through us. And what people see is us working. But it's the Holy Spirit working in us. But in the film, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, there's a point at which Linguini, the human, starts to take credit for all of the work that Remy the rat is doing. And he starts to believe it. At first he has to take credit for it because he can't say, well, it's actually, you know, the rat. But then he starts to believe it. And he starts to believe that he really is as good as everybody thinks he is. And it's not him. It's Remy working through him. And once he starts to believe it, he ends up leaving Remy on the side of the road because he gets so caught up in his own ego and his own fame. 
And uh, I, I think um, particularly for, especially for Christian leaders, but I think for any of us, we have to remember always that if we do good work and people see that, yeah, if people give you a compliment, take it, accept it graciously. Like, you know, it makes people feel good to give you a compliment. But always remember who it is working through you. Because it's easy, if a lot of people give you compliments, to start believing them. And then you start to think that you can do all this stuff on your own, and you forget where it's really coming from. And I think that's important. Yeah, thank you. And, and I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I think it's so, um, <clears throat> again, for some of us in, in certain traditions, that the, the role of the, the Spirit in our current lives was not always emphasized. And, and I think when we are, are focusing on the fruit of the Spirit, we're work, focusing on the work of the Spirit within us and through us, um, I, th- I think it changes so much. And, it, you know, there's, Scott McKnight has a quote about Galatians where he says, there's a part of Galatians where he says, Paul advocates something that I've never heard any serious parent, pastor, Bible study teacher advocate for. He said that is that Paul makes the case that the, the best, um, I think he says teacher or, or whatever, for moral living, the best kind of teacher for moral living is not scripture, but is the spirit. That the spirit is the one who guides us in, in moral living. And he's like, we, we just instinctively think of the scripture as that, which again, is, scripture is important. We need to know it. We need to follow it, all that stuff. But, but Paul's saying, actually, it's the Spirit who guides us and who teaches us and leads us in righteous living. Um, and that's kind of scary for us to think about doing it that way sometimes. But I think that's what Paul has in mind for us. Uh, okay, we've got just a few minutes left. Uh, I, I do want to take time here at the end to just say, if anybody has any comments, thoughts that you may want to share with Justin before the end of this weekend, I'd, I'd be curious to know those. If there's something that's blessed you or or you just like to share or anything like that. I want to provide a little time of that before we're done. I was kind of putting people on the spot because I said we weren't going to do that. But I thought we'd do that just for a couple minutes before we're done if anybody has something. Okay. Like I said, I know that's putting you on the spot. So. Well, I'll share yesterday. I yeah, go ahead. A little bit yesterday, and, and after I asked my question of just Liz came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, I think you need a hug in the world to me. I lost my mother two years ago, so she never knew I was gay. And again, I mentioned yesterday that my father and sisters kind of reject my thoughts. So it really meant the world to me. And, excuse me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, David. All right. Well, uh, I did have one more question for you. Uh, and I appreciate that emotional moment. And so this is not going to necessarily come well on, on that hill of that. I mean, end on an up note because our family tomorrow is headed to the Texas State Fair. Um, we tried, Ashley and I were planning not to go to the State Fair this year. And our kids found out that that was our plan. And they rebelled strongly and said, no, we need to go. So that's what we're doing tomorrow. And uh, so, I don't. Are all state fairs known for their fried foods and things like that? <laughs> are, have you been to the? You're from North Carolina. Is the state fair in North Carolina like a big deal? Have you been to the state fair? <laughs> and and if so, do you have a favorite fair food? That's kind of where I was leading to. Ah. Uh, oh goodness. See, this is the thing. Uh, you've you you welcomed me here as as a, a gay Christian. And now you're outing me as someone who doesn't really go to the fair. And I, <laughs> I may be left on the side of the road. Now. Thank you. <laughs> you are not alone. 
I, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, certainly in North Carolina, we, there are lots of fried foods at, at the State Fair, but it's been so many years since I've been to one, I, you know. Um, but uh, I, 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 I will say uh, thank you all so much for just being so gracious and so kind, and I've loved getting to know you, and I'm sorry I didn't have time to get to know everybody, uh, but it's been such a joy to be here. And um, if you have... Uh, you know, more questions that, that come up or want more resources on this, um, you can find me in my much longer than elevator pitch uh, article on Bible passages and my YouTube videos and stuff on, on my website, which is geekyjustin.com. I'm a big geek about a bunch of things. Um, so that's G-E-E-K-Y justin.com. I always have to spell it ever since the talk I gave a few years ago. Or at the end, I said, you can find me at geekyjustin.com. Thanks so much. And then afterwards, I had this gentleman come up to me and said, did you say kinkyjustin.com? <laughs> and I've been horrified ever since. <laughs> uh, have you gone to that site? I have not. <laughs> you might want to check you, it. You I haven't that. either. You I haven't that, either. Like, have you but... been there? Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, uh, but again, you know, thank you all so much. You're wonderful. And I am so, so excited to see where the vine goes because I really mean what I said this morning. I really think God is doing something amazing here. Yeah. I'm just saying, if it's not registered, you might want to register it. And, yeah.